0: Our heavenly Father, we do thank you for the blessing of this Lord's Day, and we thank you for the blessing of your Word, which we look to today to teach us and to guide us, that we might be a people who live according to wisdom. And we thank you, in infinite wisdom, for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is wisdom personified, who lived a righteous and wise life, died a sacrificial death, according wisdom, and resurrected from the dead, that we might have life in Him. And so it is in His, and by His Spirit, that we gather together today, praying that You would give us, Your people, wisdom as we look to Your Word, and as it is taught. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here are, for those of you all coming in, there are handouts back at the back somewhere. Yeah. All right, so... I had planned on us uh, concluding this topical study on greed and giving with last week. week, uh, And so uh, we're going to take our, our time and work through the last two remaining points uh, in our but also uh, hopefully have some time for discussion uh, today as well. And, um, but I do want to, to let you know that uh, because of uh, video problems, the first part of this study was on our YouTube channel. Um, we've gone back and re-recorded it, and I've also changed up a number of the points and provided additional uh, background on some of the important Hebrew terms. And so if you're interested in it, it is different than the study that went, went through live to somewhat of an extent and so might be worthy if you want to look at a refine. see I get through this and what we talk about and what we go through and then all of a sudden I realize all the ways that I should have refined it. Uh, so maybe we should just I should teach two in a row uh, but no, I'm joking. Uh, but you can go back and catch that YouTube channel. Then last week we went through part two. Today we're looking at part three. And where we ended last week was to ask the question, how are we blessed by giving? How are we blessed by giving? Now, through the first week and the second week, there are a number of those Proverbs that we could take and could answer this as well. And so what I'm doing here is I'm really, really summarizing uh, what we have looked at in many of the other Proverbs. But I've picked out two Proverbs for us to look at specifically that address this. The first is Proverbs 11.25, and that should be on your hand. Will himself be watered. Well, so one of the ways in which we're blessed by giving is to pull a word from this proverb, is we are enriched. Enriched. Interestingly enough, the Hebrew word that is translated here, enriched, is also the word that may be referred to an animal that is prepared for... uh, uh, for uh, eating, and so the, the animal is, is fattened, or the animal is enriched, and, and it's the, the word fat in a positive uh, connotation, not negative. And so uh, we might say that we the animal, as it is prepared, is, is fattened, or it's, it's, its health and livelihood is enriched, and so also whoever brings blessing will be enriched. Also here, the one who waters will himself be watered. And so we see that both of these statements uh, are positive statements uh, used to accompany one another, not in contrast. And the word watered here also carries an agricultural term, a, a reference, and watered means, or could also be translated, drenched. And the word would have been used in uh, the practice of horticulture, so to drench something, to water it appropriately for growth, for the benefit of that plant, uh, then it is a blessing. And so if you look at this verse in the agricultural context in which it was written, whoever brings blessing will be enriched or in a blessed way, and one who waters or drenches himself will, or waters, will himself be drenched or watered. Uh, what's the general point of this? Yes? Yeah, that's good. You yeah, to, to to soak a newly planted seedling, right? is to water those roots and to, to, to let it uh, be prepared. And so in, in this sense, the one who soaks is the one who himself is, is soaked. What's the general point of this? Two positive statements, two clauses, joined together in one positive proverb of enrichment. What's the general point of this? All right, positive side of sowing and reaping. What we sow, we receive or we we get. In the in a general sense, the sowing, we also refer to it in the sense of generosity. Or to put it succinctly, what this proverb is teaching is the reciprocity of generosity, right? Because it's not just that and gives, but there seems to be the connotation of generosity here. Whoever brings blessing, the idea of abundance, the idea of of above and beyond what is required, the one who waters, the idea is an abundance, so how are we enriched how are, are uh, if there is a reciprocity of generosity that those who uh, bring blessing are enriched? How are we enriched? And we're going to talk about this uh, in a little a little more depth in just a second. So I'm just going to give this to you in summary. But there are at least four ways. Um, I'm specifying this because this has consistently come up in a number of our previous studies. Uh, So if you've asked yourself, well then, what does this reciprocity, what does this look like? Well, if you do a search through the Old Testament, for example, we see this not only in the Proverbs, we also see this in Ecclesiastes, we see this in Psalm, we see this in Deuteronomy, etc. Someone may be enriched through wealth, they may be enriched through abundance. They may be enriched through health. And then we touched on this last week. They may be enriched through the satisfaction of giving. And so those are at least four ways, uh, if we mine the Old Testament on this topic, that we find that one is enriched uh, through this, now I'll move out of the way just a little bit, uh, by virtue of blessing, or in this case, uh, giving. Number two, the second area in which we are blessed by giving is Proverbs 19:17. "Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. We've looked at this proverb before, haven't we? The general idea here is, and we could use a number of, of words here, but I've just tried to capture it with one word, as we are repaid. Um, the idea of being generous, the idea of generosity, is uh, that we are, we are ones who show forth Grace that could be a good uh, could be a good paraphrase. Generous could be fair, paraphrased as showing forth grace. Generosity would seem, however, to reduce one's resources. We've talked about this before, haven't we? Uh, you would think, okay, if I have a, a, a certain amount. And if we say that this is, this is mine, this is what I own, this is what I have, we might even say this is what God has blessed me with. And then if I am generous from what I have, what's simple mathematics, isn't it? If I give someone that I have, I have less. And yet consistently within the Scripture, we see that in God's economy, this is different. In uh, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled and with plenty, uh, filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, we don't hear the how this happens. Uh, In fact, we don't find how. This happens mechanically anywhere in Scripture. That it does occur in God's economy, we do see consistently. For example, here honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, so forth and so on. Blessing flows from this generosity. We also see this, and oftentimes this is uh, categorically placed in uh, defining something which is Old Covenant or Old Testament. But the general principle of God's economy still applies in in this from Deuteronomy chapter 15. This is when uh, Israel was preparing to enter the promised land. Uh, Moses, God had told Moses to give caution to them about various things. And in this caution and counsel in occupying the promised land, Moses said this, there will be no poor among you. Now, pause there for just a second. Think about this. This is in The context, if you will, is obey God's law. It's not dissimilar to what I preached either last Sunday or the Sunday before obeying and live. God gives this practical advice... Obey as I, since I've designed it all, I created it all, o- obey what I've commanded, and so forth and so on. Well, this, the same thing is true here. God says to Israel, Obey my law, and there will be no poor among you. Which, and I'll pause there for just a second. So the opposite of that would be what? There are poor among you because you're not obeying. That's right, so it's a natural inference. No need to take this into the realm of mysticism. It's just cause and effect. Obey, there will be no poor. Do not obey, there will be poor. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as He promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you." We've got several things there. Both uh, at the beginning, uh, talking about the economic status of a people within that country. Obedience yields no poverty in the in the sense of a people being poor, but also we see in the in the sen- the economic sense of lending and borrowing. There's no need to borrow money if you have plenty. So you you borrow money if there is a shortfall, right? But if you're in a position then you become the lender. You're lending in this sense, uh, no, no need to borrow. And so also the governance of that. There's no need for other nations involved in the governance of a country that's obedient to the Lord as the Lord is the one who rules that nation. And so we see all of this tied up this idea of the reciprocity of generosity. There seems to be a consistent theme uh, of this. But I want to go back and drawing on this, ish, this point that's made here in Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God will bless you as He promised. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. In this proverb, if you'll look with, it, with me again, it says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. And so my question is, is how do we lend to him who owns it all? How do we lend to him who owns it all? Well, the the practical side is by giving, by being generous as the Lord directs, right? So that is, but... I'm really asking more uh, of a theological question than a practical question. The practical answer is, be generous to those in need. But the, the theological question is, is how, do you, how, can we, how can we lend to someone who owns it all? And why does the sage use this terminology? Is it an offense for him to use? Now, again, I'm being coy here. Of course, the Word of God is true, uh, but the sage intentionally uses the word lends to the Lord. Why?
1: Through us, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a really good way to put it. But it. it's not dissimilar to what we say on Sunday mornings during our worship service when we're collecting the tithes and offerings, and we say the Lord owns it all, so we're merely stewards. We're we're giving to Him. Uh, as part of the abundance that he has blessed us with. And and it's not dissimilar to what the writer of Proverbs is saying here. To lend to the Lord is to... Who's the lender? The lender is the one who's in a position of abundance who has excess and has the ability to lend it out that it may be borrowed by the borrower to be repaid. So it's a position of abundance. So if we're in a position of abundance by virtue of the blessing that God has bestowed upon us, so us giving to, to your point, giving generously to those who are in need, in a sense, is giving to the Lord. He who gives and he gives. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's right. Who is God? That's right. As I said last week, he's the guarantor on the loan. um, Which uh, one commentator puts it this way. He says, "...the one who gives generously to the destitute figuratively gives a loan to the Lord, presumably because the Lord's honor is tied up with the poor. For he made them, and they too are his image." their just and gracious creator takes it on himself to assume their indebtedness, and so he will repay the lender in full, which is to your your point. And so it's a a beautiful way, it's a beautiful poetic way of of helping us see the graciousness of God uh, in oftentimes... Uh, language that we would not necessarily think of, this borrowing and lending and so forth, but it's a wonderful way to see the generosity uh, and abundance of God. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And so we certainly see the tie-in there with what the writer of Proverbs is saying, God who made us, every human being, in his image so also protects those who are in need, stands in the stead uh, as the psalmist sings of the widow and the orphan, and so forth, and also as we're directed in, in James. And so the idea of this is, is that God is the one who repays the loan, and he is the one who guarantees it. So we're, in re, we're enriched were repaid by our generosity, among other things that we have discussed up until this point. So with the... True, that's a great point. Why do you think the sage uses loan instead of invest? That is a great point. Why? Because it's important, because he doesn't. He doesn't say invest. Why? Now well, think about it. If you if you invest it's still a point of uh of of abundance of capital, right? You have the capital, but but why?
1: If I invest, I expect return.
0: But if I'm the lender and I make a loan, I'm expecting to be repaid. Yeah. The tie-in there is the obligation of the debtor. The obligation of the debtor. Because as an investor, investing in an investment, it is one who is in a position of abundance. But one who borrows is not in a position, at least Old Testament speaking, is not in a position of abundance. If, If I can buy a piece of property for cash, I have no need to go to the loan. Uh, If I have the ability to invest in it, I have no need to to go. I am in a position of abundance. But the one who borrows, and again, let me just emphasize that I know our idea of borrowing, lending, in modern context, may not completely play out like this. But in the Old Testament, the borrower is always in a position, in a negative position. And it doesn't mean that there's not borrowing and lending in the Bible. There is, and it's strictly... Uh, uh, quantified in uh, the references to it, but it's never in a positive connotation. It's always in a position of one who is in need. That's why the sage doesn't use the word invest, because investing is, I'm a wealthy person. I'm investing in something by virtue of my capital to be able to receive my return. But if I am a debtor, I am in a negative position. I am in a position where I don't have the wealth. I need the generosity of that loan to come to me because I am in a position of, or as the commentator says, the destitute. It's the the destitute who need the money, not the wealthy. And so he intentionally uses the imagery of borrowing and lending as opposed to investing because of the debtor is the one who is destitute, is desperate. They have to have the money. Oh, I totally agree. I'm just speaking from a literary standpoint. I'm just saying that's what that proverb says. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And in other connotations we could use that. It's just we wouldn't want, we want, we would want to be very careful not to use that example in this, because it would distort the word of God. And clearly, uh, the point is, is that the Lord is the one who repays on behalf of the destitute, that is, the borrower. All right, so what I want to do with the time we have remaining, and we don't have a lot of time remaining, uh, but I want to go through a, a number of questions. And what I would like to ask of you is this. Is A, p- please share your opinion Uh, So there's nothing wrong with that. But also what I would like for you to do, if you can, is to draw from the last two weeks, perhaps something that you've learned and through our Proverbs on these last two weeks on greed and giving, perhaps there's something that's really stuck with you that might be pertinent here. uh, But but even if you don't recall something, don't let that inhibit you. And I want to start out uh, with this question. What are ways in which you... You personally are tempted to be greedy. What are ways, and by the way, so we're, we're not Roman Catholics, no need to step into the confessional booth at this point. Um, we're, we're, we're not looking for a, for a heartfelt pouring out of confession uh, at this point. I just mean in general. Uh, what are ways that you might be tempted to be greedy? yeah that's a great point. The distinction between want and need um, wants can 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 grow like a snowball, can't they? to the point where we we' we're greedy, um, and so the distinction's got to be made, right? What else? Yeah, so the need for the pastoral hol- helicopter. Might be in excess. There's a reason why the deacons have never approved that airplane. I might have overestimated the needs, but I need it. I need that airplane, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's a great point, overestimating our needs, not having a realistic viewpoint of, of what truly what our needs are. Anything else? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I mean, I've said before, we used to be referred to as citizens. Now it's another C word. Now in the United States, we're referred to as what? Consumers. And we all knew the answer to that, didn't we? We've got to be sent stimulus checks to, to continue to keep the flow of our Keynesian economy, because why? Consume, 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 because heaven forbid we did what they did in World War II and conserved. Yeah. Yeah, Roger Scruton, the great uh, British conservative. I'm not sure if he was a Christian, so maybe I get minus points for quoting this. Maybe he was. I think he wrote a book on Anglicanism. But Roger Scruton, uh, the now deceased great uh, English British conservative, uh, said, don't forget that the root word of conservative is conserve. Uh, <laughs> which which I think he felt like we've we've forgotten in our consumerism. Huh? True, true. Yeah, don't we all? And to J.D.'s point is, and also when, when we're just constantly inundated uh, with this, well then, you know, why are we surprised? when all of a sudden we wake up and realize that, that one of the, the temptations that many Christians face on a daily basis is greed. And so it's a real... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and in times of un- uncertainty, uh, we, we we find that we we do that even more, don't we? Hold 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 on, hold hold tight. Uh, I think if there's been. Uh, there have been a few beautiful things that have come out through our missionaries uh, over in the Ukraine and Eastern Europe, and some of the stories that are coming out about that. And One of them is is when, when you, you are destitute, uh, you, you tend not to hoard, because you're all in the same condition. And so there are stories of just remarkable generosity of those who have seemingly lost it all uh, giving to their neighbor, which is a, a beautiful picture. Well, what are practical ways that you and I can protect ourselves from being tempted to be greedy? If we are bombarded uh, with this uh, ever-present, seemingly, consumerism, what are practical ways to protect ourselves? Yeah, it's a great one. I mean, one of the great ways to combat uh, my selfish heart is to be generous to others. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are. There are. What else? What are practical ways that we can protect ourselves from being greedy? Give
1: first.
0: Yeah, give give first. first. Mhm. Yeah, you know, I mean, we'll talk about
1: about that Uh-huh.
0: Right off the top, yeah, that's a great practice. That is, a, that's a great practice. Yeah, I know. I know that, that in my, in my own life, but also a number know a number of you by by simply uh, setting it and forgetting it so to speak, uh, by giving that, that 10% uh, uh, with before there's even the opportunity to spend it is a great way to protect against uh, uh, being greedy or, or giving away or spending on once what is the Lord's first. There, to, to J.D.'s point, there are also some areas to protect ourselves in the way in which we are bombarded with the, the, the constant appeal to our consumerism. Uh, right. I mean, if you've ever read, uh, and if you haven't, do yourself the favor, go check it out at the library. But if you've ever read Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death, classic 1980s work. You do have to read it understanding it was long before the internet or any of these modern technologies. So it's pretty much based on television, Uh, but but do yourself the favor. I mean, I think like everybody ought to read Neil Postman's 1980s classic, Amusing Ourselves to Death. But in that, one of the things is, one of the great ways to protect yourself, against totally bombarded with consumerism, is according to Postman, click. Turn it off. Yeah, turn it off. I mean, you know, you, you you don't need to watch that much television. You don't need to be online that much. You don't need to be bombarded with this absolute nonsense of social media. And what you find, uh, to Neil Postman's argument, is, is that when you tend to move away from the uh, telegraphic, which is the, the television, and move towards something that is more typographic, which is written, you tend to be more discerning. You, you stop, you pause. Is this person selling me something? Instead of, you know, telegraphically, it's just, oh, you know, you can't, you can't even stop your brain long enough because it's just constantly coming at you. So one of the ways to protect yourself is just turn it off. How does uh, So we talked about how giving combats greed. Um, to whom and where should we give? To whom and where should we give? If we are to be a a generous people, if we're called uh, to generosity, uh, to whom and where should we give? flows out from there. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. And I, I think one of the, the best ways to think about it is to, to, to give to the church first and then be very discerning uh, and looking for uh, what I would call mercy ministries to, to, to give and to serve. And, those, and I know there's a number of, of, of you uh, here who serve in a different min- mercy ministries. Uh, around town and um, we've wrestled with this as a church and our mi- missions committee as well as on the session uh, about uh, ways to encourage uh, people to get involved and, uh, and to, to not only to give to the church but also to look out in the community and say this is, this is a worthwhile uh, area for me to serve in and to get plugged into that. Uh, so we should give first to the church uh, we should look for uh, areas uh, of mercy ministry that are are scriptural we should look at ways to to help those who are the downtrodden um, does this mean that we we check discernment at the door you know one of the and I wish I'd written it down just to quote it to you but, but one of the commentators on the proverbs one of his one of the best quotes that I read is is you should never take the proverb, the, the wisdom of the Proverbs on generosity and giving and separate them from the wisdom of the Proverbs on being discerning. And, and, that, and I'm, I'm butchering the way that that commentator eloquently stated it, um, but we are to be a giving people, but we're not to be gullible. We're, we're not to be duped into giving to people that don't truly need it. And so it requires us to uh, step back. And to practice uh, good discernment. How do we we distinguish between giving to other opportunities and giving to our local church? How do we distinguish between something that is uh, worthy of our uh, financial support and uh, uh, physical support and the, the church? Which obviously needs both as, as well. How do, we, how do we distinguish between those two? I mean, clearly the uh, topic of giving to the church never comes verbs, Proverbs, does it? So so how do we how do we do that? How do we distinguish between the two? And by distinguish I mean to to in our decision making. How do we decide that I'm going to give X amount to the church and I'm going to give X amount to the community rescue mission or whatever? So what if all of the mercy ministries that you might consider giving to um, are all Christian-based? Yeah. So how do you make that choice? How do you decide how much goes to the church and how much goes to those really worthy Christian-based organizations? (laughs) Well, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. And that's where I'm getting at, is, is that I think that there are... <laughs> well, and, hey, listen, you can remove me from the equation. Um, I'm merely an option. That's right. But I think where I'm going with that question is, it's really sort of a searching question because I think that there are Christians who can say, well, I give to the Salvation Army, I give to the Red Cross, I give to uh, the, some missions organization for college students, and I give here, and, and so I am giving, and then their, their church is not receiving their, their giving. And then I've also seen where certain Christians will move around. They'll hop around. Well, I'm going to give to the church and then I'm going to give here. And so that's really the, the question I'm asking. You're saying the church is first. How do we make that distinction? And somebody raised their hands. What or both of you did. Okay. Well you yeah, of course you will. <laughs> Well, of course, uh, the Apostle Paul is very clear that, that we are to give sacrificially. Um, so uh, all giving, to a certain extent, is it is a reduction of what we have. In that sense, we could say is sacrificial. What, what are you thinking about? Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, it was built into, to to Rusty's point as well, the tithe that supported the, the priestly office and functions, so also the sacrifices. All of this was built into their daily lives, which we've done a wonderful job, and I mean that with as much... Our, uh, sarcasm as possible, we've done a wonderful job at, at alienating and bifurcating ourselves from the church, instead of seeing the church as the core uh, part of our existence, and I don't mean you chosen faithful, I just mean those that don't come to Sunday school. It's um, <laughs> a <some> joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing about you think Jesus
1: and uh, were he so he based on how they were yeah. In, in, in that parable, so um, I mean, what we we do need to be uh, very discerning in how we mm-hmm. distribute our funds. He's given us those. Yeah. And, said, and work, you know,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ne- needs to of, be. Kind of I'm a Christian, and so this is. Yeah, I want to support the kingdom. J.D., you were going to say something. Well, Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not not just to give flippantly. Yeah. Yeah. So so is that the amount that we're to give to the church? How how do we determine and, and and I'm I'm like way over time. How how do we how do we determine how do we determine that it's 10% that we give to the church? Right. Yeah, it's really a combination. With the combination of church and state came the combination of, of giving and being taxed, so to speak. And uh, but that's a, that's a good point. Right. That's right. So I'll leave you with this. And I'm way over time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to land the plane here. There there are there are arguments pro. and and con on giving 10% supported in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to tell you where I lean. I lean toward, and and I practice this personally myself, is to give 10% of my income to the church, and then above and beyond that, I'll give to other mercy ministries. Um, Now... It, you, you, I'm not going to preach that necessarily uh, because you could argue that there, there's not the carryover from the Old Testament, uh, but I agree with J.D. I think there's sufficient evidence uh, based on Abraham's giving to Melchizedek. As we are children of Abraham, so also we give to the priestly office, so to speak, and, and support of the church with our, our 10% or our tithe. But, as it has been said before, and I think accurately, uh, we can give more than 10% are not restricted just to 10% uh, but regardless of where you land on that the point is is that we should give we should give generously to the church first we should give generously to other mercy ministries as we have the as we have the abundance to do so and we should always do it with discernment yes huh we to give ourselves first yes Yeah. undoubtedly yeah yeah to- totally agreed. that to, for the video, is we, we give ourselves first uh, as, as an offering unto the Lord, uh, un- un- undoubtedly. Uh, but as far as what we have, as we who are, are Christ and are owned by Him, uh, uh, give as God has blessed us. Well, uh, yeah, well, that's a biblical principle, isn't it? That that, that that reciprocity of generosity. And yeah, that's good. Let, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have blessed us with the ability to give to you. And we thank you that you have blessed us with a church that seeks to be faithful of what you give and what you enable us to do. We pray that we would be a giving church. And we pray that we would be faithful to support the ministry of this church as well as the other opportunities that we have Uh, out of the generosity of our heart. And we pray that you would bless us indeed as you have blessed us most specifically in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.